While a future time in Bible prophecy known as the Tribulation adds up to the worst of times on planet Earth, there is a bright spot during those seven years. Simultaneously, the greatest spiritual awakening ever will also take place on Earth. I call it the Jewish evangelism explosion. The Bible predicts that 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes of Israel will one day arise, embrace Jesus as their Messiah, and proclaim His good news. Do the math. That makes 144,000 Jewish believers giving voice to the gospel with evangelistic fervor. The 144,000 will pay the ultimate price for their faith, but the fruit of their works will mark eternity. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard to convince a Jewish person that Jesus is the Messiah? The answer comes your way next on this Monday edition of Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. Today, Ron returns to the book of Revelation as it continues his series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. It's a message about God's chosen people and about some of the reasons why many of them have not yet chosen God. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the program on your schedule or make a safe and secure donation to the ministry. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with part two of his message, The Jewish Evangelism Explosion. With the natural disasters, with the celestial wonders that are happening, there's just major shifts in the topography of the earth. And, and it has to bring the inhabitants of the earth just to a, a, a fearful moment. I mean, what, what, what is going on around here? Now, all this discussion about celestial wonders kind of makes me um, reminiscent of uh, Joel's Old Testament prophecy. I really think that the sixth seal is the final fulfillment of a prophecy made by a prophet named Joel in the Old Testament. It's the same prophecy that the Apostle Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. If you go in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, remember on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in tongues of fire, and, and people were speaking in other languages, and there were dreams and visions and signs and wonders and all of that happening. Uh, some of the observers thought the apostles were drunk, you know, and Peter stands up and says, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. This is what Joel talked about in his prophecy years ago. And Peter goes on to say that in the last days and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of the smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now you go back to Acts chapter 2 and you studied the day of Pentecost and you study Joel who talks about signs and wonders and dreams and visions and now all these celestial things happening. Yet we know that during the apostolic age there were signs and wonders and dreams and visions. We read about that in the book of Acts. But nothing like the celestial wonders that Joel also prophesied about and that Peter prophesied about. That's because the celestial wonders, the final fulfillment of Joel's prophecy comes at the sixth seal. 
And you read carefully back in Acts chapter 2, the interchange between the language, the last days, and the day of the Lord. Those are technical terms in prophecy language, the last days, starting the day that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and going to the end of the age. But that awful and terrible day of the Lord that Joel talked about, which is specifically linked to the celestial wonders, oh, that's the tribulation period. That's the, that's, those are the last days or the final days of the last days. So this is why I believe the sixth seal and the celestial wonders that are happening, the celestial catastrophes, are really a fulfillment of, of Joel's ancient prophecy, which was partially fulfilled at the day of Pentecost and will be finally fulfilled when the sixth seal is released in the, uh, in the tribulation period. And did you notice the response of people during that time? The rich and the powerful, the generals, the presidents, the prime ministers, the influence peddlers in our in the world will run to the caves and to the mountains. And they're so full of fear. Uh, John suggests they will know that it's the wrath of the Lamb and His who sits on the throne that is pouring this out onto planet Earth. They will know that. And they will run into their bunkers and they will call for the mountains and the caves and the rocks to fall on them. They will desire death as fear grips their heart during this time. <laughs> it made me think of that place called the Bunker at the Greenbrier Resort. Have you ever been there? Been there? Just, there? Just over in the West Virginia mountains? The federal government built this bunker apparently back during the Eisenhower administration and it was used during that administration. It was a place for the rich and powerful to go to in times of disaster. It was built, you know, hundreds of feet beneath the ground into the mountains of West Virginia, 112,000-some square feet, a 21-ton door blast and dormitories and clinics. I mean, it was a little city beneath the mountains there. The Washington Post exposed it in the 90s, and the federal government had to shut it down, but it kind of makes me wonder if the federal government just didn't build a bunker for the rich and powerful someplace else in another undisclosed place. The rich and the powerful during the tribulation will run to their bunkers. They'll run to the caves. Think of Osama bin Laden and his terror merchants who hid in the caves of Afghanistan for all those years. All across the globe, the rich and powerful and the influence peddlers will run to their caves, to their bunkers, to their hideouts because they know the wrath of the Lamb is cascading upon planet Earth. No wonder it's called the tribulation. And no wonder Jesus said it's a time like, like earth has never seen before. Now let's move on to chapter 7. Let's get back to this 144,000 and to this great harvest of souls that takes place. John has already pictured them under the altar of God. That's the fifth seal. But now he goes on to say this in verse 7. After this I saw four angels, chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, and no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed, listen to this, have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. 
And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, and so on. All 12 of the tribes of Israel are mentioned there. Now, John sees four angels holding back the winds from the four corners of the earth. And I take these to be uh, tumultuous winds, you know, blustery winds of tornadoes and hurricanes and things like that. They're, they're, they're to hold back the wind from destroying the earth or even cooling the earth for that matter until, and this is an interesting thing, until the 144,000 are sealed on their foreheads by the living God. These 144,000 Jewish believers in Jesus will be protected by God during the tribulation period. Uh, it'll be tough for them, but they're not among the martyrs. The, the martyrs of the tribulation, those people who come to faith in Christ, are pictured beneath the altar of God. Later, John sees them in euphoric worship in heaven. But, you know, throughout church history, there's been a lot of discussion about who, who the 144,000 are. And there have been some groups, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, a cult, that have laid claim to this number. The problem is when their worldwide numbers grew past 144,000, they had to rewrite their theology, you know, conveniently. But this is not referring to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventists want us to believe that the 144,000 will be those Adventists who are faithfully observing the Sabbath when Jesus returns. Well, come on. Uh, that would mean that every one of the Seventh-day Adventists are, are, are Jewish believers who can link themselves to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. No, I, I think it's just simple enough to say that the 144,000 are Jews who come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period and after the rapture. You know, I have some Jewish friends. I, I love my Jewish friends. I have a few Jewish friends who are Messianic Jews. They recognize Jesus as their Messiah. But they're few in number. And have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why it's hard to reach a Jewish person with Jesus as their Messiah? Well, Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 talks about the sovereignty of God and His plan and program for Israel. And Paul writes these words, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. We are in that prophetic gap, the church age, the times of the Gentiles. And, and the Bible says in no uncertain terms that there has been a partial hardening or a blindness over the nation of Israel during this time. That's why it's hard to reach Jews for Jesus, although there are many across our planet who profess Jesus as their Messiah. But all of that will change after the rapture. That partial hardening, that partial blindness will be lifted. And at least 144,000 Jews worldwide will say, oh my, Jesus Messiah. The, the, the scales on their eyes will be lifted, almost like the Apostle Paul when he saw the risen Christ and the scales later fell from his eyes.
still ahead, the rest of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Jewish Evangelism Explosion. Remember, you can hear any of Ron's messages on demand. Visit somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, check out the new Something Good digital library, where you can search to find answers to your biblical questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. You can stream for free and on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. For your gift to Something Good Radio today, we'll give you the complete audio download to the series that you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's all 20 messages in Ron's teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. It's our way of saying thank you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's get back to Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Jewish Evangelism Explosion. When we go to Israel, uh, we... we connect up with a, a wonderful Jewish guide there named Bernice. She was with us last time we went, and uh, she really knows her sites well and her history well, and, uh, but she, she's not a, a, a Jewish believer in Jesus Messiah. And so we have some interesting conversations, and one of the conversations we had was about how Jews and Christians are both waiting for the coming of Messiah. And I said, oh, yes, we are. And when he returns, Christians will say, welcome back to Jesus, and Jews will say, welcome. But there will be some during the tribulation period who say, welcome back, Jesus. Sorry we missed it the first time. There will at least be 144,000 and many countless numbers of more, John says, who come to faith in Jesus during this time. It will be one of the greatest uh, spiritual awakenings that happens on planet Earth ever of all time. In one sense, I wish I could be there during that time, but in another sense, I also know that it's also one of the greatest times of intense persecution because those that the 144,000 plus the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 that the Holy Spirit uses to bring about the spiritual awakening, those who come to faith in Christ will experience, again, just great persecution and the loss of their lives. They'll be slain for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ as the Antichrist and his minions pour out great persecution upon God's people. So John goes on in chapter 7 to picture uh, these slain martyrs in worship. He says, after this, and behold, a great multitude, verse 9, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a picture of uh, the tribulation martyred saints now in euphoric worship, joining in with the angels and the 24 elders, which represent the church, and the four living creatures, these special angelic beings, worshiping God and worshiping the one who sits on the throne and, and his lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By the way, all this talk about a Jewish evangelism explosion reminds me of something Pope Francis said about a year ago in one of his Catholic encyclicals 
one of his decrees that he writes from time to time. It was a decree where he uh, voiced his opposition to Jewish evangelism. Basically, the, t- the Pope told Catholics worldwide, don't tell Jews that Jesus is their Messiah. And I read that and I thought, you got to be kidding me, because there's coming a day where at least 144,000 of them, sealed and protected by God, will tell the world that Jesus is Messiah, and they will lead this great spiritual awakening on planet Earth. Maybe you watched on Friday um, the funeral of Muhammad Ali, as I did. Uh, Muhammad Ali was one of the greatest boxers, if not the greatest. Of course, he told us all that he was the greatest, very humbly, didn't he? But he really was an incredible heavyweight champion. He was formerly Cassius Clay. He converted to Islam and took the name Muhammad Ali. And he scripted his own funeral, wrote his own effigy, and he wanted representatives from every major world religion to be there and say something at his funeral. And so if you watched it on television or saw some of the video clips, you'll, you'll, you would have seen, you know, the Jewish rabbi, the, the uh, Muslim imam, uh, the Christian pastor, uh, the Buddhist monk, the Hindu, uh, the American Indian, you know, they were all there and they all had something to say. A lot of it turned into a, you know, civil rights rally from the 1960s. I mean, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, There was one Jewish rabbi that stood up, turned it into a a leftist political rant and an endorsement of Hillary Clinton as president of the United States. I mean, come on, really? I mean, let, let it rest. I mean, you're at a funeral here. Missed his opportunity to say something nice about the, the, the deceased. But what I noticed when every one of those religious leaders stood up and had their time to really speak to the world, not one of them mentioned the name Jesus. And I was finishing up some thoughts on the message, and I came to chapter 7, and I saw the tribulation saints martyred, their blood flowing under the altar, chapter 6. Their picture of them in euphoric worship in chapter 7, and them crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, There's no ambiguity in the hearts of these martyred tribulation saints who the real God is. Any more than Daniel had any ambiguity in his heart, he refused to bow down and worship the king's image, because he stayed faithful and true to the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God to whom he made a promise to Abraham that I'll make a nation out of you. And from the seed of Abraham came Messiah Jesus. Now, salvation, make no mistake about it, salvation belongs to our God, to the one who sits on the throne, and to his lamb, uh, that lion that looks like a lamb, that lamb that looks like a lion, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that's Bethlehem, the lion who comes back to conquer the earth, that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to him, regardless of what all the religious leaders of the world want to say. The world wants us to all join hands with all world religions and sing kumbaya together. But, you know, when I hear people say that, I think, you know, 
you've never read the books. You've never read what all these religions are about. None of them agree with one another except to say love one another. But if you're going to reduce it to the least common denominator, come on now. Salvation belongs to our God, they say, to the one who sits on the throne and to his Lamb. Let's never forget that, friends. The tribulation is a, is a terrible time on planet Earth. You can escape all of that. We talked about that in weeks past because we're in that, that prophetic gap. We're somewhere between Daniel's 69th and 70th week. Oh, as sure as I'm standing on this platform today, God will fulfill the rest of that prophecy. He always does. He doesn't miss dotting an I or crossing a T in any of his promises or any of his prophecies. You just wait and see. Thanks for being here for today's Something Good radio message, The Jewish Evangelism Explosion. Ron, in light of the prophecy you discussed over the past two days, 144,000 Jews evangelizing the world for Jesus Christ. Well, it begs the question, why does Judaism in particular and so many Jews in general reject Jesus as the Messiah? Well, that's another great question, Brian, and the truth is we could talk for hours about the intricacies of what Judaism teaches on this subject and its rationale for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. But the place to start is with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, where Paul writes, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. So the problem for practicing Jews begins at the cross of Christ. The Messiah they believe in was supposed to be a conquering hero, not a suffering servant. So they reject the idea of a crucified Messiah. And by extension, they contend that Jesus failed to fulfill all of the messianic prophecies. In other words, Judaism contends that the works of Christ are over and done with and that he is dead and there is no further opportunity for Jesus to fulfill the whole of messianic prophecy. Well, this idea naturally leads us to a discussion about the resurrection. Christians know and understand that Jesus was raised from the dead and that his work is not yet done. He will return one day to fulfill every last prophecy made about Messiah. So Judaism not only rejects a crucified Messiah, but it rejects the idea of Jesus now being the resurrected Messiah that will come again to fulfill that which remains to this point unfulfilled in Bible prophecy. And for this reason, they continue to await someone else, uh, their true Messiah, the long-anticipated conquering hero who will set things right. I often say to my Jewish friends, when Messiah comes, Jews will say, welcome. Christians will say, uh, welcome back. Now, those are just some of the highlights. Uh, There are several other points of disagreement. Uh, Judaism calls the lineage of Jesus into question as well as the virgin birth. Uh, But in the interest of time, I'll just leave it here for now. The good news from the revelation of Jesus Christ is that at some point in the future, as we near the end of days, the nation of Israel will be instrumental in a worldwide revival. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts from today's message, The Jewish Evangelism Explosion. Ron, before we go, how about telling us what's in store for us tomorrow as you continue your teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. 
Well, Brian, the next message in the series is not for the faint of heart. Now, it's true. God is a loving, merciful God, one who is patient with us and whose desire is that all people will come to the knowledge of repentance. But there's another side to him that we all need to understand. The Bible says he is also a consuming fire. And the scriptures tell us that it's a terrible thing, a frightening thing, to fall into the hands of the living God. The book of Revelation tells us that a day is coming when God will pour out wrath and judgment on the inhabitants of planet Earth who have rejected his love. Now, the good news in all of this is that God is telling us in advance about this terrible coming judgment. But make no mistake about it, it will come. And I'll tell you all about it in great detail right here on Something Good. That's next time when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Seven Trumpets of God's Wrath. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.